BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Ooh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller? I traded in my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Plus. Hmm, how's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. My choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Welcome to Business on the Brink, a production from iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. Pixar's origin story plays out like, well, like a Pixar movie. Full of ups and downs, drama, and a few unexpected allies, this company has overcome more than a few brink moments. From lamps to apples to infinity and beyond, we're going to tell you all the animated details of this company's evolution. This is Pixar on Business on the Brink. Hey, everybody, I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Ariel Kasten, and this is a suggestion from Nathan in St. Louis. Thank you, Nathan, for writing in. It was great to hear from you, it, and it's a great suggestion. St. Louis. St. Louis. <laughs> Fair enough. So, St. Louis. <laughs> from good old St. Lou. So, yeah, we're going to talk about Pixar, which is uh, – I love this topic. Me too. It's, uh, it's one of those studios that has produced – a, a remarkable number of amazing films when you look at, like, the percentage of all the films made. And plus some other films that aren't so amazing. Yes. Cough. Uh, the Good, Good Dinosaur. Cough. Oh, my gosh. No. We didn't even plan that, guys. No, but I've I've seen it. <laughs> I have not. It is – oh. it's That's why I haven't seen it. So it's not, it's not bad. It's just – it's just not remarkable. That's See, that's the thing is that Pixar set the bar very high mm-hmm. with some of their movies. And so when things are just good instead of great, you're like, well, that's a disappointment. When, when a, For any other studio, it would be considered a hit. So, yeah. But we're going to talk uh, more about the founding of Pixar and how it was never a sure thing that it was going to become the movie studio that it is. I would say yeah, it didn't even really start as a – well, it kind of started as a studio and then it became not a studio. Yeah. And then it became a studio again. So, yeah, let's get into that. So the story starts not with John Lasseter, who I think a lot of people associated with Pixar. Pixar, yeah. It doesn't start with Steve Jobs or even George Lucas, who would become one of the uh, the key members of Pixar. It actually really starts with a guy named Edwin E. Catmull. And Catmull had dreams of working for Disney as an animator, uh, but he had one major issue, which is that he really just couldn't 
get down the artistic talent for hand-drawn animation. Yeah, that's that's kind of a necessity when you want to be a hand-drawn animator. Yeah. So instead, he went into computer science. He really threw himself into it. He got, like, advanced degrees, not just mm-hmm. a bachelor's. He got a master's and a PhD. Smart. So, yeah, super smart. And he went to grad school, and in grad school in 1972, he would actually get the nod to designing a computer animated graphic for a feature film and it's a film of a of a movie I, you've seen you've seen Westworld right yeah and i've seen the movie that you're talking about future world yeah future world is the sequel to a film called Westworld the film yeah yeah there was a film before the tv show guys yes it is the film that inspired the hbo mm-hmm. series uh, so back in the 70s we made do with Yul Brenner as a robot riding around and being terrifying. I don't know if make do is the right word to put with Yul Brenner, but... Uh, it depends on the movie, I guess. I no, digress. He, he was great in Westworld. So Future World was the sequel to Westworld, and it had this computer hand animation sequence mm-hmm. in it. It actually was Catmull's hand. Oh, that's he, really He animated cool. his own hand into nice. it. Uh, and this was the first time that computer animation would be used in a feature film. Then he graduated with his Ph.D., and he got contacted by the New York Institute of Technology to go over there and to serve as the director of a computer graphics lab, brand new. Yeah, and, and that's where he met his cohorts for the eventual Pixar. Yes, the Alvy Ray Smith is one of those, in fact, the probably the most important of the ones, mm-hmm. who also had a Ph.D. in computer science. He had uh, – he's a little bit older than Catmull, but he had also worked at Xerox's Park. Uh, research Center. PARC is the P-A-R-C. That's the same research center where stuff like the first graphic user interface, the first mm-hmm. computer mouse, like all that kind of stuff grew out of there. Although, to be fair, the computer mouse actually came from somewhere oh. outside of PARC but got adopted. You get where I'm going. That's funny because Steve Jobs will come into our story later here and Steve Jobs and PARC have a tenuous history. Yes, because Steve Jobs got to tour PARC and then stole, stole. everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we, yeah. I th- we talked about that a little bit in our Xerox episode, I think. Yeah. Uh, he also uh, met David DeFrancesco and mm-hmm. Ralph Guggenheim there. Yes, both of them would become founding members of Pixar as well. Yeah. So they all are working at this this computer graphics lab together when a a certain independent filmmaker came knocking at the door. That independent filmmaker was George Lucas. Yes, he said, "I am your employer." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He was uh, he was putting together a little uh, little little special effects studio called Industrial Light and Magic. Just a, just a little old studio. Yeah, right right up there with Weta. You know, <laughs> there's one of the big ones out there. And so George Lucas, being George Lucas, he wanted to get the best people in the world to work on this. And computer effects were like new. Yeah, they were like unheard of. Yeah. So he was going for the cutting edge, the bleeding edge of that technology. And he recruited Catmull to come in and head up the computer division of Industrial Light and Magic. And Catmull, being, you know, familiar with the work of his colleagues, reached out mm-hmm. and essentially plucked them all up to be part of this group, thus gutting the computer graphics division over of, at – Of Neat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, but smart move on, on George Lucas's part and smart move on Catmull's part. Yep. So their original work was mostly to make computer animation not look like computer animation – which is understandable. Like yeah. you're, you're trying to make it. I mean, we see that today too. I was gonna say it's something that we still struggle with. You know, yeah. I, I think when you said he originally animated his hand. Yeah. F- like I've dabbled in drawing. Hands are the hardest part for me yeah. on two D animation. So, yeah. but I think on three D animation, it's actually mouths. Mouths really give it away. And hair. And hair. Hair yeah. is another big one. Yeah. it's it And eyes too, right? Like mm-hmm. you look at something like Polar Express, which is not a Pixar film, and whoo, boy, yeah. Yeah, you could just get those dead eyes. Okay. So they were trying to make their computer animation not look like what it was. Yeah. Which is, again, like you see action movies that have like the, the CGI blood spray. Mm-hmm. If someone gets shot, then it's always incredibly obvious. They wanted to try and create new stuff. And... So they also had to do things like figure out, well, how do we work around the fact that computer animation is super clean, right? Like it's all virtual. It's not a real camera you're using. But real cameras, when you're shooting on film, if you move the camera, you get blur, Mm -hmm. right? Because cameras are just taking a series of photographs super fast. 
So they actually, one of the things they had to figure out was, how do we make blur in a computer graphics effect so that it looks like it's actually there on film as opposed to an effect? You just eat a greasy burrito and then you wipe your finger across the screen? That's, oddly enough, exactly not what they did. (laughs) So they're working on this stuff and... There really isn't much for us to comment on other than they were they had steady work in yeah. industrial light. Okay, magic. so let's skip ahead to 1983 then. Sure. That's when Catmull would hire on a contract worker, so not full-time yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy was named John Lassiter. Still is named John Lassiter. Yeah, who had previously worked as an animator for Disney. Yep. So exactly what Catmull wanted to do. Yep. And the thing that Lassiter had encountered, at least according to most stories, is that he wanted to introduce computer animation to Disney features, but just encountered a lot of resistance. Mm -hmm. So he was eager to try those skills somewhere else, and he thought that Industrial Light and Magic would be the place to do it. Yeah, and he did. By 1985, he was a full-time employee, and he had the title of interface designer. Yeah, because they didn't technically have an animator position. Mm -hmm. So that was the closest that they could come up with. They would work on several big motion pictures, including one called Young Sherlock Holmes, which have you seen? I haven't seen, but I did look up the scene that uh, you're about (laughs) to talk about where – Uh, They took a two-dimensional knight, I think from a stained glass window, Mm -hmm. and made him like pop into the scene and interact with somebody. And it's it's interesting because they definitely got the look of light going through stained glass, but it's pretty rough. Yeah, it's a a rough one. It also makes me think of the animated, the CGI uh, intro to Steven Spielberg's television series Amazing Stories. It was very similar. Yes. But – uh, yeah, this was the idea in Young Sherlock Holmes is that it's a hallucination. The bad guys have these hallucinogenic darts, and when they shoot you with one, you have these nightmarish uh, hallucinations that then compel you to commit suicide. Spoiler mm. alert if you haven't seen Young Sherlock Holmes. That movie's <laughs> like four years old. I was say, I think we're outside of the uh, spoiler alert rules. Yeah. But anyway, this was the first time they had a scene where live action actors and a CGI character would be interacting in the same frame. Yeah. So that was that was a new benchmark. Yeah. And, and to do that, they needed special hardware to do it. Yeah, they, did, they didn't have like no – Because this is new. Yeah, no one had built a computer system for that. So they're like, well – I guess we'll build our own ding-dang darn computer system. And they called it the Pixar Image Computer. Yes. Now, this is again. Pixar. Yeah. This is before they had given a name to the division. They were still Mm -hmm. just part of Industrial Light and Magic. And, um, yeah, the funny thing is I'm not going to go into specs. Anyone who knows me from Texas knows I could. But technically, if you have a smartphone, then you you have a computer more powerful than this thing was back in its day. But for its time, it was an incredibly sophisticated computer. Yeah. Um, but then they used it for more than just entertainment special effects. Yeah. Well, they, they figured that in order to get the best return on investment, they could actually market this computer system for lots of other stuff, including like medical imaging. So the idea was, why should we build this computer system, which will be very expensive, and just use it in-house if we could also market it as its own product and make more money by selling it to other you know, organizations. So they started, it's almost like they were side hustling as a hardware company, not just as an effects division yeah. within Industrial Light and Magic. They were, and, they were kind of uh, making extra bets. They are hedging their bets. Yeah. And uh, one of their big early customers for the Pixar image computer was? Disney. Yep. They were looking uh, to use such a thing, not to create 3D CGI films, though. No, no, to uh, digitize their cell animation. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying so hard not to go into this tirade about Disney 3D animation versus 2 because I like the Pixar Disney movies. Yeah. But I really miss the 2D animation. Well, and there was – yeah, there was a thing, time at Disney – this is outside the realm of our, our discussion really. But there was a time at Disney where the prevailing wisdom early on in the Pixar years was that, oh – Audiences love these movies because they are computer animated movies. And even Lassiter, as as the man who was really heading up that effort at the time, said, no, what's most important is story. Story, yeah. And then, you know, you determine how you're going to tell that story. But story is way more important than whether it's hand-drawn or computer animated. Yeah. Okay. Tie right off. Uh, the system they they made for Disney was called the Computer Animation Production System. 
uh, nicknamed Caps. Mm-hmm. And uh, they actually would still be working on that when the division would split off from Lucasfilm. Uh, so why did this division of Industrial Light and Magic get spun off? Well, it's because Lucas was having some issues. So, but, but, I mean, he just did Star Wars. Star yeah. Wars was super successful. He did Return of the Jedi in 83, so he had just had three blockbuster films. He had made... I think I think the right term is a metric crap ton of money. <laughs> Very um, scientific, Jonathan. Not just not just off the films, but through merchandising. That mm-hmm. was I mean, that was one of the biggest money makers that Lucas stumbled on. Yeah. You know, that really wasn't as big a thing until the Star Wars franchise came around. And so this is a point where, you know, you would think everything's going on great, but Lucas also was kind of Looking for the next next project. Yeah, he didn't have another Star Wars film. No, so, so he made an amazing movie called I, Howard the Duck. I knew you would. I knew you would. I knew this. Look, it's not a good movie. It's a horrible movie. But it's an amazing movie. I saw it in the theater when <laughs> it came out. It's so bad, it's good. Oh, uh, it's no exception of where it's disturbing. Um, <laughs> which is frequent, frequent in that film. Um, Leah Thompson's in it though. Yeah, she, she's. Very cute in that movie, but no, the uh, the it's a it's a terrible movie, and it and it bombed. Yeah, it absolutely bombed. So Lucas had just had a a flop of a film come out. He was also going through a an acrimonious divorce Aww. that was incredibly expensive. In fact, uh, there's talk about the reason why Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was so dark. It was partly because Lucas was working out his feelings about his divorce. Yeah, but it made a really good movie. Uh, an okay movie. And then he – so he's he, he was in a bad place and he was thinking, well, I don't have – Another Star Wars lined up. Howard the Duck was a total bust. I think I'm going to focus on independent, smaller films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he decided he was going to sell off this computer division of Industrial Light and Magic. So this was a possible point where this whole thing could have just gone away. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, Catmull was kind of already preparing for this spinoff. Yes. He knew that this was coming. And so he had already started to kind of set the foundation. And... Uh, they decided that they were going to create their own standalone company, computer animation and effects company. Mm -hmm. Uh, They did have one little problem, which is that no one was really keen on what to name it. Like there were a lot of – no one had the one idea that everyone immediately glommed onto. Uh, Yeah. So there was a lot of disagreement on that. Yeah. uh, Apparently uh, one of the names was Gifix. Yeah, GFX for graphics. Yeah, it was just this – it was just a temporary name. It was literally something that they had to put into a field on a form. They f- they forgot the R too. There, there were – well, and there are a lot of issues with that particular yeah. acronym. It doesn't make any sense. So they uh, ultimately obviously decided that they would name their company after the computer system they had designed. And Pixar. That's why they called it Pixar. And then – they just needed to get somebody to help fund this because they couldn't they didn't have any money yeah. when they're just getting spun off they had to find some sort of angel investor and they knew just the guy who could get the jobs done i don't know whether they're grown or do like a dun 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 tell you what how about we take a break and you can figure it out sure all right BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So, buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So, how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. 
OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic, oracle.com slash strategic. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. So, obviously, I was referring to a very specific person with that angel investor, and that would be... Steve Jobs, uh, and he paid $5 million to George Lucas for Pixar. Yeah, and then he spent another $5 million to help fund the company to get it really situated. Uh at this time, Jobs was actually going through his own transition. This was during the period where he had been effectively forced out of Apple or he had quit, depending on who you ask. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so he had gone on to found a different company called Next, and he decided to, uh, to swoop in. And generally, he was going to be hands-off. He was going mm-hmm. to leave the running of the company to Catmull and to Smith. They but- were going to keep going. But he did have majority stake in the company. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He owned 70 percent of the shares. This is a private company, not publicly traded. Mm -hmm. But 70 percent of the shares of the company. And then the Pixar employees owned the other 30 percent. That will be important later in our episode. Yeah. He also decided that he, he wanted to really set Pixar up to be a computer hardware company. So all of that imaging stuff they were looking at. Um, unless the animation studio side, and we all know how that went eventually. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this was this was largely a, a, a practical kind of determination. The idea that computer animation was not quite at the level of sophistication where you could make, say, a feature length film. They, yeah. You had people like Lasseter who wanted to do it. There were a lot of people at Pixar who wanted to do it, but they had all determined that as the technology stood at that moment, it just wasn't really possible. Yeah, but I mean, they didn't give up animation entirely. Lasseter still made shorts, which were then used as um, kind, kind of just... Like a sales pitch. Yeah, like a sales yeah. pitch like saying, for the Pixar system. Exactly. They said, well, yeah, the, you want to know what's possible with this computer. Here's some animation that we designed using this computer. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a demo, but... You know, obviously, Lasseter being Lasseter, he wasn't going to just do, you know, a bouncing ball or something. No. Although that would play a part of it, especially in the first one. And yeah. that would be? Uh, Luxo Jr., where we got the little lampy guy that you see jump on the eye on the Pixar and it smushes the eye and yeah, it's and now the, the eye. Exactly. I said eye way too many times. Aye, aye. But uh, yeah, Luxo Jr., that's they, – they would later go back and, and sort of remaster that. But that mm-hmm. became one of the early pitch films that they would use. And it also really kind of helped set Pixar's kind of aesthetic and tone. Like there's mm-hmm. this sort of cheeky humor that tends to be in Pixar films. Yes. And that was, that was evident even as early as uh, 1986 when they designed this Short. Yeah. It also got nominated for an Academy Award. Yes. It did not win that Academy Award, but it was nominated. And then in 1988, just two years later, uh, they got another 
an Academy Award nomination for Best Animated Short Film. And that film was called Tin Toy, T-I-N. Yeah, not T-E-N. Yeah, T-I-N Toy. Uh, and a little it's a little tin soldier. And that one did win the Academy Award. It's also another adorable film that got remastered later on. And it would become the inspiration for a future Pixar mega blockbuster hit. Yes. Uh, in 1989, we got another short from Pixar. Yeah. Nick Knack. This is another one that got remastered and re-released, actually, as one of the shorts that would come before a Pixar feature-length film. I don't think I've actually seen this one. This little snow globe with the snowman in it, and he's desperately trying to get over to a – it's like a – it's like a little a little souvenir tchotchke that you would buy at, you know, Hawaii or something. Oh, oh yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, it's got a little, the, 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 the the little Hawaiian, Hawaiian hula girl. girl. Yeah, and so the whole thing is the snowman's just desperately trying to get over to this hula girl I he's fallen in love that. with. Yeah. Yeah, so that was another super adorable short. And that was uh, when some other very important people to the future of Pixar would join the company. This was 1989. That's when Peter Doctor and uh, or Pete Doctor, I should say, and Andrew Stanton joined the company. Yeah. Um, so they're making all these animated shorts. They're getting lots of praise for them. Yeah. But the business side of things is still struggling. Yeah. Uh, they were not selling enough Pixar image computers to pay off the costs of running business. And according to a lot of different stories, over the years, Steve Jobs collectively poured in about $50 million of his own money to keep wow, the company afloat. Wow, yeah. And I would say like the the average person doesn't even know that Steve Jobs was involved yeah. in Pixar. I mean, so. if, you, if you followed it early on, you would have heard about him being on the board of directors and things like that. But yeah, he was very much the reason why the company was still – if it had not been for Steve Jobs pouring money into Pixar, it would not have survived. Yeah, well – it looked like they may not have at that point because they started getting layoffs and downsizing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, at the same time, Steve Jobs was also struggling with his company Next. Yeah, Next was not doing well either. Next had created a very high-end educational computer. It was, ran for like $5,000 a computer, so mm-hmm. very expensive. And no big surprise here. That meant that there weren't that many customers because yeah. not a lot of people are ready to drop 5Gs on a computer. Nope. And uh, even though people thought that thing, the elements of the operating system were really, really innovative. So Jobs was having this issue where he's got one failing business and then another one that is uh, he's just constantly pouring money into. Yeah. He sees the potential there. But the question is, can you ride it out long enough for that potential to pay off? Well, <laughs> He kind of didn't. He kind of didn't. So he sold off the computer hardware division of Pixar, everything that he had set them up to do with the imaging and and such. He decided to get rid of it. Yeah, that was the part where he said, all right, we're going to focus on the computer animation side, but we're going to not worry about producing actual computers anymore. And a company called Vicom Systems purchased the computer hardware business unit of Pixar for just $2 million. That's not a huge turn on investment there. No. And Vicom, in turn, would end up going into bankruptcy just a year later. So mm-hmm. it was not it was not the, the, uh, the shot in the arm yeah. that Vicom needed to yeah. succeed. Not to be confused with Viacom. Yes. No, this is Vicom, V-I-C-O-M. It's, yeah. That's not the same as the cable company. So the hardware division's gone. Mm-hmm. So the animation division just flourished. No, no, not quite. They still why were you, not— why why the, You're ruining my happy ending, Jonathan. Well, you, you got to have you gotta have the, the low point in Act 2 before you can have the happy ending in Act 3. All right, continue on. All right, so here's the low point in Act 2. Pixar still wasn't making money, and this led to another round of layoffs, and half of Pixar was fired. So 50% of the employees were let go. Uh, one of those was co-founder Alvy Ray Smith— uh, who may have actually just left on his own after mm-hmm. the changes. And he went on to co-found another company called uh, Altamira Software Corporation, which would later get acquired by Microsoft. Uh, he would stick around with Microsoft till 1999 and retire. So he's out of our story. And Steve Jobs was not done. He knew that something big and major was going to have to change soon. And to do that, he felt he needed to have absolute control of the company. But here's the problem. He had a majority stake in the the company, but 
30% of those shares didn't belong to him. They belonged to the employees. Yeah, so he shut the company down. Yep. He he effectively ended Pixar. Pixar Pixar was no more. He closed the company. Is is this one of those like Berenstein Berenstein issues where we think Pixar exists but it's actually in another reality, Jonathan? Uh, we'll have to answer that question after we come back from a quick break. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save 40% site-wide. Get 40% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Okay, so we're back. And spoiler alert, we know that Pixar comes back too because yes. obviously their movies came out. Something had to happen, right? Mm-hmm. But it is true that that Steve Jobs, he, he shut Pixar down. Then he decided to start a new company, a brand new company called Rapix. Rax Raxip. Neither of those. That that was I was trying to say Pixar back backwards. No, he he named the company Pixar. Yes, and then he hired back all the people who had been with Pixar just before he shut it down. Yeah, but he didn't give them their shares back. No, no. He would be the only one to hold the shares now. Uh, so, if I were an employee, I'd be a little upset. So yeah, he shut down the company. And then reopened the company, and now it was wholly owned by Steve Jobs, and the employees had no shares. Yes, and so then he decided to sell this company that he shut down, or he considered it shut down and reopened. Yeah, he was thinking, well, now I own the company, so no one can stop me. (laughs) (laughs) And I might be able to make back some of that $50 million I've been pouring into Pixar for the last several Mm -hmm. years. So he started looking around at the possibility of another buyer. But while doing that... Another opportunity came through the door. Yeah, they landed a $21 million deal with Disney for Toy Story. Not just Toy Story, for five Five, films. So that was where the real issue would come in. The original deal was to create three films. Oh, you're right. That was the original deal. So the original deal was three films, and it was a $21 million, like, up front. And then they would get a certain percentage of profits afterward, but it was a very small percentage, as we will see. Yeah. So it was definitely something that the company needed. Like, the company needed that money. Mm-hmm. But if you look at that deal and you think $21 million, that's like $7 million per film. Yeah. That's and not 
It's not, I mean, when you think about what film budgets are. Yeah, especially t- by today's standards, which, of course, you know, this was 20 years ago or but so. Even but even so, even then, like a, a an animated film, I mean, that's nothing. So it's, it, it is one of those things where it, it's, it was, it opened the door to Pixar, but it could have also spelled the end of the company. Mm-hmm. So they decided that they would make this film about toys that was inspired by the 10 toy short that they had made mm-hmm. before. And um, this was possible largely because Disney was looking at the possibility of funding animated films that the company itself wasn't having to animate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they had success with that with The Nightmare Before Christmas in 93. Yes. So, so, so there was some precedence for this where they, the company Disney was saying, all right, well, we're still producing animation out of our our two studios. One was mm-hmm. in L.A. and one was in in Florida, um, at least until yeah. You know, I remember going to the animation studio in Florida. It was great because you could actually. I mean, I remember yeah. seeing animated cells for things like Aladdin. I did too. And it's great. You got to see like stuff before it would come out, and then they yeah. shut it down. Yeah, uh, but all this time, Jobs was still thinking about selling the company. Yeah, and then he thought, well, you know. I could sell it off maybe even to Microsoft, which mm-hmm. is interesting because, you know, Steve Jobs and, and like Bill kinda, Gates yeah. having that sort of uh, – that Fre- Frenemy yeah. relationship. Yeah, they, they've they've definitely been on either side of uh, the friends' enemies' lines from each other. And so they decided uh, – he said, you know what? I'll, I'll wait. I'm going to wait a little bit, see how this goes because if these films turn out really well, it'll put me in a better position than I would have been had I just sold it at this point. Yeah. So Toy Story ended up slowly taking shape. I mean, this was the first time that most of these folks over at Pixar had ever tried to put together a feature-length film. Yeah, yeah. And um, not everything turned out the way – like the, the movie we got – it was very different from some of the concepts they had, which we will talk about toward the end of this yeah. episode. Um, so Lasseter directed it. Yep. And a whole bunch of people helped to write it. Yep. Including Joss Whedon. Yep. He wrote one of my favorite lines. Which is? Wind the frog. Obscure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, Steve Jobs, you know, as Jonathan says, decided to hold off and hold on to Pixar for a while. Mm-hmm. And he was named CEO in 1994. Yeah, which was interesting because technically Catmull was still calling all the shots. Yeah, he was just kind of the face man. Yeah. The idea was that because Jobs was well known and was a recognized figure in business, that that would add enough legitimacy to Pixar to give it a stronger market position. Yeah. Like it was all about, and I hate this word, but it was all about optics. Fun. Yeah. Uh, But what was fun was that Toy Story, as we all know, big hit. Yeah. Enormous hit. It was actually funny story. I didn't even think about this when I was making the notes. That was the first film I ever saw with my wife in a theater when we were dating. It was, and I had to convince her to go see it. Because she was like, I don't want to see a kid's movie. But she enjoyed it, right? She loved it. I had already seen it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, just trust me. Just trust me. And she trusted me. And 22 years later, she still won't let me pick the movie. But here's the thing. Toy Story is a huge hit. So you think, okay, now Pixar is rolling in it. Yeah, they're they're past their their struggles. Except that that deal I talked about earlier, the $21 million for three films, part of that deal was that Pixar's share of the profits was tiny. It was around 15% of the profits, and everything else was going to Disney. Mm-hmm. So, of the profits, right? So, the movie's box office, uh, the global box office, was around $360 million, which, you know, again, you think about today, and everyone's like, oh, if it doesn't hit a billion, I don't care. But yeah. back in the 90s, $360 million, that's a huge take. Yeah, things are much more reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a dollar, it was a dollar a movie, and you could get a bucket of popcorn, but just. For a nickel. And a song in your heart. <laughs> no, um,. <laughs> No, but they that's the thing is that that they only got 15%. So mm-hmm. Disney's taking 85% of the profits essentially. Yeah. And so this was tough. But Steve Jobs had an idea, right? Yeah, yeah, he took the company public. He took Pixar public, not Disney, obviously. Yeah. Uh, in 1995, just a week after Toy Story premiered, which is great timing because everybody's really excited about this new Pixar movie, the first feature-length 
animated film. Computer animated computer film. Computer animated yeah. film. Yeah. And so, you know, perfect timing. Everybody wants in on that. Well, and this is also at a lull for Disney's animation, right? Like mm-hmm. Disney had its renaissance with Little Mermaid and Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast. And then the other films like uh, Pocahontas, and Hunchback of Notre Mulan. Dame, Mulan, those were starting to be more of a lull, at least as far as audience response. Yeah. Not that we're not saying those movies aren't great. No, I love Mulan. I like I like I like Mulan. I don't <laughs> like either of the other two, but no. I like Mulan. And so that also helped. Like this was so this was a great move for Steve Jobs. Like mm-hmm. he was like, we're gonna put the company out, make it public Right after this huge success, everyone's really excited. It drives up the value of the company. Uh, it was the biggest IPO in 1995. It even beat out Netscape, which was, you know, like wow. the dominant web browser of yeah. the early 90s. Gosh, Netscape. <laughs> yep. We'll have to do an episode on that <laughs> we someday. We will. But yeah. then uh, – so the markets, when they opened uh, – before they opened, the shares were estimated to open up at around 12 to $14. It actually opened at 22 and it – Got up as high as forty six dollars at the at its peak that first day of trading, then settled down to thirty nine dollars. Still an incredible gain, yeah. considering that they originally thought it was going to be twelve bucks a share. And is this what made Steve Jobs a billionaire? Yes, this is how Steve Jobs went from being a rich millionaire to a super stinking rich billionaire yeah, overnight. He, here, I thought it was all Apple. No, no, it was actually Pixar that really pushed him into the billionaire club. Wow. And um, at this point, you probably think that, well, I bet some of those employees are sad that they didn't have their shares anymore. I would be. Because they were no longer – they weren't going to be billionaires. Uh, So the thing that this did allow Jobs to do is to go back to the bargaining table with Disney and say like, well, now Pixar is a publicly traded company. We're valued very, very high. Like Mm -hmm. our, our valuation is incredibly high. Uh, let's talk about this deal. So the deal, the three-picture deal was scrapped and a new deal was put in place. And this time it was a five-picture deal that would last over 10 years. So five movies in 10 Mm -hmm. years. And the profits would be split right down the middle 50-50 between Disney and Pixar. So this made, you know, Pixar obviously happier, but also it kind of shut up some analysts that were saying that Pixar – Shouldn't be as value, valued as high as it was. Yeah, there were there were people who were questioning whether or not Pixar's value really was what it seemed to be in mm-hmm. that in that week of the IPO because they were saying people are really excited because you had one success, but until you have a proven series of successes, that doesn't really mean anything. Like you could you could have a a, a freak home run. And then yeah. you strike out the rest of the season. That was what they were saying. But it wasn't. It still wasn't fair, all fairy tale endings for Disney and Pixar yet. No, no, that was the, the early years were rough. So the next film to come out was A Bug's Life, mm-hmm. um, which I really enjoyed. I did too. Uh, it's often kind of grouped in some of the lesser Pixar films. Then you got Toy Story Two, which originally Michael Eisner, the CEO of Disney, wanted to go as a direct to video type of sequel. I would have been fine with that. Laster, however, was not. Yeah. I love Toy Story 2. I like Toy Story I like Toy Story 3 better. Uh, no, I like Toy Story 2 more than 3, but I like I like the original more than yeah. either of those. But, but you know what I like more than either of those myself? What's that? Monsters Inc and Finding Nemo which came out next. Yes. So, you had Bugs Life, Toy Story 2, Monsters Inc, Finding Nemo, but Steve Jobs and Michael Eisner were starting to have some problems. Mm-hmm. They were largely disagreeing over which films counted toward that five-picture deal. Yeah, because Eisner didn't want Toy Story 2 to go to the theaters, so he didn't want that to count towards the deal. Yeah, he essentially said, yeah, it's a sequel. See, Sequels don't th- count. Yeah, the five, five-picture five deal is just for totally original IP, and Jobs is like, the heck did you just say? <laughs> we didn't say five ideas. Yeah, we said five films. So by the time Finding Nemo came out, word was getting around that Disney and Pixar had been holding talks about perhaps extending this agreement beyond those five pictures, but that the talks were not going well. Mm -hmm. And Steve Jobs actually released a statement. And here's a quote, quote, After 10 months of trying to strike a deal with Disney, we're moving on. 
We've had a great run together, one of the most successful in Hollywood history, and it's a shame that Disney won't be participating in Pixar's future successes, end quote. Sadness. But Disney was like, fine, and they tried to establish their own, well, they did establish their own computer animation studio, and they called it Circle 7. Yes, which never made a movie, by the way. No, it it was intended to create sequels to the Pixar movies. Yeah, the idea being that Disney owns that intellectual property. So they could churn out as many sequels of Toy Story and Monsters, mm-hmm. Inc., and Finding Nemo as they wanted without Pixar's involvement at all. Um, clearly, that would have been rough, if yeah. not disastrous. Yeah. I think of some of the direct-to-video sequels that Disney has done that have not been great. There have been some that have been really good. Yeah. Lion King 1 and a half is great. But a lot of the uh, a lot of the ones are not so hot. And so – That raised a lot of concern, but while this argument was still going on, Pixar was still making movies for Disney, and The Incredibles and Cars had come out, and that meant that they were beyond the five-picture deal at Mm -hmm. this point, that something had to to change. Cars came out in 2006, and at that point, Disney and Pixar were able to settle their differences, and that's when Disney – made the announcement that it would acquire Pixar for, and this is an amount that was astonishing when you think about how close Pixar was to going out of business just a few years earlier, for $7.4 billion. Wow. So, yeah, here's a computer animation studio that was losing so much money that a millionaire had poured $50 million of his own money in it just to keep it afloat now acquired for $7.4 billion. Jobs would end up joining the board over at Disney um, and was an even richer billionaire. Yeah. And, you know, you might be thinking, I thought Disney made some computer animated movies by themselves, and they did, but that's later on. Yeah, and it wasn't Circle 7. That was a division that they formed to do that, and ultimately Circle 7 didn't do that, and it got... Uh, kind of folded into other departments. So it was just one of those things where a company makes a division specifically to do something and then Mm -hmm. it just never works out. All right. So uh, we want to end this episode with some fun facts. Yep. So here's some of the weird stuff about Toy Story. Uh, The original version of Woody was not a pull-string cowboy. No, he was a ventriloquist dummy, uh, which is creepy. Yeah, that's what Michael Eisner said. He said, no one thinks ventriloquist dummies are anything other than creepy. I don't want to have a creepy character as the protagonist. Change it. I'm, I'm sure at one point they weren't, but now they are mainly creepy. It's it's kind of hard. Like I, most of the ventriloquist dummy movies I've seen cast it in the form of like possessed dummy mm-hmm. a la, you know, Chucky, I've, I've, but that's all. It's like but, a doll. Know, I've, I've watched Jeff Dunham and not gotten scared. So that's. I know. He scares the heck out of me. <laughs> Anyhow, next fun fact. Okay, well, Buzz Lightyear was not originally Buzz Lightyear. His original name was Tempest, named after the classic arcade game. He also originally was aware that he was a toy. I'm glad they changed that. Well, apparently the reason why they changed it was that when Tim Allen came in to read for the character, he was playing him with such bravado and such, like, completely— Like, earnestness? Earnest and not not knowing he was a toy, like, treating it like he is a space ranger— that the these these the writers were all saying, no, wait, this is way better. And that's when they made the choice to veer away from Buzz Lightyear mm-hmm. knowing that he was a toy. Um, and, and the last fun fact is that uh, Toy Story was kind of – it kind of had Snow White syndrome. So they thought it would take eight animators and it needed 33. Yep. And they thought it would take 53 processors and it took 300. Yeah. So, yeah, this is – it's funny because when we did our episode about Disney uh, going into Snow White, it was very much the same thing, right? Like yeah. Walt Disney drastically underestimated how many animators and how much time it was going yeah. to take. And and they underestimated the time to make Toy Story as well. Yeah. As it turned out, the reason why they had to go with those 300 processors was because rendering each of those uh, frames just took so much time. Yeah. And when you think about it, like a frame is 1 24th of a second. So – a full movie, a feature-length movie, has thousands and thousands and thousands of frames. And when it takes hours to render a single frame, you then extrapolate that and you realize we will never finish making this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously things have improved since then. But then also as technology improves, Pixar 
tries to push the envelope of how much it can do with that mm-hmm. technology. So it's it's constantly a, a, a seesaw. Yeah. Right. The they'll animators will come up with a new way to test the technology to its limits. New technology will come out and rinse and repeat. Yeah. Uh, well, this was a really fun topic. Thank you, Nathan, for uh, requesting it and and kind of hitting. A love of both Jonathan and mine. Yeah, we loved going back and looking at this story. And again, like it's really interesting to see how much of it was rooted not just in animation but in hardware. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I always appreciate and Ariel's eyes glaze over. No, I do appreciate it. Look, I like technology. This is just not the place for it. Okay, fair enough. Entirely. All right. Well, you know, what is the place if people have suggestions to send us for future companies we should focus on? Well, that place would be our email and our email is feedback at thebrinkpodcast.show. Yeah, and Ariel reads every single one of those. Yes, please, please write in. I I love hearing from you guys. It makes my week. She's so lonely. (laughs) And uh, if you want to visit our website, that's thebrinkpodcast.show. We have an archive of all of our past episodes, so if you've ever missed one, you can go check that out. You can search to see Mm -hmm. if perhaps the company you were thinking of has been covered already. And if it hasn't, then definitely reach out to us. Or if it has, but you feel like there needs to be an update, that's legit too. Send us that. And uh, that's it, I think. Until next time, Mm -hmm. I have been Jonathan Strickland. And I've been Ariel Kasten. To infinity and beyond. Business on the Brink is a production of iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply